Well, hi, everybody, and this is a podcast for the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs. I am uh, your executive director, Steve Strand, and we are very pleased to have with us uh, today uh, Kate Heeman. She is an assistant attorney general with, uh, obviously, the Washington State Attorney General's Office. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. And we also have uh, investigator Lindsay Wade, uh, who is also with the Attorney General's Office. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Um, this, the topic we want to talk about is one that our chiefs and sheriffs hear a lot about, um, they see the acronym SAKI, S-A-K-I, Sexual Assault, what does it stand for? KIT Initiative. KISH, KIT Initiative. And it's this big sort of complicated subject, and it has to do with, you know, the subject of rape kits and the backlog of rape kits. It has been a somewhat controversial issue over time. It's gotten a lot of media attention, sometimes very negative media attention for law enforcement and for our agencies. And... Um, your group, the Attorney General's Office, is involved in an initiative to um, to help to deal with that backlog, and we're we're doing sort of an ask for a lot of our chiefs and sheriffs in, in, ter- in terms of surveys. So we're going to talk about that, what it means to us, why it's a good thing, <laughs> and why it is something that um, overall I think is going to be very helpful to our departments and to law enforcement, and ultimately to um, you know putting serial rapists in jail, which is by far the most important thing. So um, if, Kate, can I ask you to sort of um, talk about an overview of um, the backlog of rape kits, how did we get here, and then the initiative that that your group is taking on and, and what that, how that's hopefully going to alleviate that. Absolutely. So uh, a few years ago, um, the issue of unsubmitted sexual assault kits sort of became a big hot hot topic when there was a warehouse in Detroit that was discovered that had thousands of sexual assault kits that were sitting unsubmitted. And based on that, uh, Detroit decided they were going to just submit all of their kits and, and see what happened. And from that, and other jurisdictions such as Los Angeles and Houston, um, this initiative started, the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative, which is a federal grant program that helps states deal with their backlogs and getting them submitted. And the theory behind it is the more information that we put into CODIS, the more information that we can get out of it. So while submitting a kit may not have been important for that specific case, for Mm -hmm. example, maybe the issue of identity wasn't important for that case. It was a question of consent or maybe somebody pled guilty. So you didn't necessarily need to submit the kit for that case, but what we're finding is by submitting that kit and getting that information into CODIS, that may be helping to solve other cases where Mm -hmm. that defendant or suspect was involved and identity Mm -hmm. was an issue for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So just for clarification, and so I understand this correctly, so again, it's a a controversial topic, but over time, the issue of unsubmitted or the backlog of, of rape kits or sexual assault kits in some ways has been driven by, first of all, Lab, state labs who have said, I don't want you to send us certain kits because we don't have the resources to test them anyway. Mm-hmm. So that, in other words, they're putting criteria on them that are relatively high, mm-hmm. combined with this general, uh, sort of the guidelines we've had in the past, which are, you know, if identity isn't an issue, if consent is the only issue, you know, don't send them to us. We're mm-hmm. not going to test these again because of resource issues. So we've had a shift to, no, let's talk about, it's really about now connecting dots in the database. So 
we want to test everything because mm -hmm. it'll make a more robust database and lead to especially serial, um, highly mobile uh, sex offenders being held responsible. Is that another way to say this? Absolutely. Okay. And, and they saw that uh, very specifically in Detroit when mm -hmm. they submitted their kits. They had about 10,000 kits, I believe, that they submitted, and they had massive numbers of hits from it, but mm -hmm. specifically, they found 808 serial uh, offenders, and they defined a serial offender as someone who hit on 10 or more cases, and their, their kits also impacted 40 states around the country. So by submitting their kits, 40 other states got hits mm -hmm. from the information that Detroit put in. So we're seeing that this is, uh, while, like again, while those kits may not have been important for the specific case it was collected on, mm -hmm. we're finding that these serial offenders are offending on massive levels and mm -hmm. they're incredibly mobile. They're mm -hmm. moving from state to state, jurisdiction mm -hmm. to jurisdiction, and we're getting a lot of good information from it. And so Washington State and WASPIC mm -hmm. a few years ago did conduct a survey about our state and specifically our backlog problem. And based on those results, we uh, decided to go forward at the AG's office and apply for this grant because we thought it was a good idea to tackle this from a state perspective rather than each agency trying to find resources on their own to get this done. That as a state, we now have $3 million to assist in this program and this project. And so unfortunately, the feds require us to conduct a pretty unique uh, inventory mm -hmm. of our backlog to be able to have funding released to mm -hmm. be able to start testing and investigating, which is ultimately the goal. And so that's where we're at right now in the project. And we just uh, yesterday sent out our inventory to your members, to mm -hmm. the, the chiefs and sheriffs, um, to let them know about the project and the information that we're trying to collect so mm -hmm. that we can get that remainder of our funding released mm -hmm. and start testing these kits right. um, with the ultimate goal of finding these serial offenders that we know are in there and apprehending them. So I'm going to go back to sort of the sensitivity of the subject because I think somewhat um, unfairly in some ways, again, some of the media coverage of this has been focused on, well, the cops don't care about the crime or the cops don't care about these victims and that's why these never got tested. And I think uh, even if that were the case in some cases, I think overall it's been sort of viewed that way. And so um, again, and I think you referred to this, Kate, the, you know, this is not intended to play gotcha with any department. This is about a federal requirement with the ultimate goal to, to make the database more robust, get all these kits tested. And it's not about uh, coming down on any departments. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. We're not here to judge or shame or mm -hmm. even look at really why a kit wasn't submitted. That's mm -hmm. not even part of the inventory. We're not even asking mm -hmm. that question. And, and I agree with you. I think that there's been this presentation that, you know, there's thousands of kits sitting on the shelf mm -hmm. uh, that have just been forgotten. And I think the reality is, is that the majority of those kits were not submitted for totally legitimate reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, as we said before, maybe consent was an issue, somebody pled guilty, the victim didn't cooperate. There's all mm -hmm. sorts of reasons that kits weren't submitted. And ultimately, the reason that it wasn't submitted doesn't matter because mm -hmm. the point is to get more information into the database right. and use it for what it's worth. You right. know, CODIS, the system that the DNA goes into, it's only as valuable mm -hmm. as 
the amount of information it has, right. the, the number of profiles it has in it. Mm -hmm. The more profiles we put in, the more hits that we're gonna get because it's the more people you're searching against. And so our goal with this entire project, the inventory investigating, or not investigating, assisting, um, is not to place blame or judgment or shame on any agency. It's to do what we're required by the grant mm -hmm. to get the money and then to assist these agencies so that we can apprehend these people mm -hmm. who have been probably sitting out there for years thinking they got away with something. Right, right. So uh, you mentioned that some of these surveys that are required again by the federal grant went out to our chiefs and sheriffs. Just in broad strokes, what is the uh, what is it that they're looking for? What's What information are they looking for? So we're looking for some pretty basic information that's just right on the kit. Uh, basically, the date the kit was collected, the date of the offense, uh, the victim's age, the incident number, um, the charge that would mm -hmm. be associated with it. Uh, and then we also have to inventory kits that they're calling a partially submitted kit. So mm -hmm. they have a definition for that. Um, and so we're also asking for any kit that's been sent to the lab and come back um, because there's a possibility that with the advancements in DNA, that kit might hold a profile that could be detected now mm -hmm. that wasn't able to be detected when it was sent. Right. So as we move down the road and the surveys are completed, then the next step is going to be to test, to actually get these all tested. Absolutely. Now there's always been an issue with uh, capacity. Mm -hmm. um, the state lab says we have limited capacity. Um, we've all heard the stories about, you know, unless you have a, a significant homicide and a strong suspect, you know, you're going to be in the waiting list and that kind of thing. So how are we how are we going to be dealing with that? So in 2015 when the leg legislation changed that required all kits to be going forward to be mm -hmm. submitted within 30 days, um, they started outsourcing these kits to a private lab, Sorensen uh, Forensics. Forensics, thank you. I couldn't <laughs> remember the exact name of it. Um, in I believe it's in Utah. Mm -hmm. And that's where these kits will go. And they are going to have to go through the lab for the back end part mm -hmm. for the review. But we are working with the lab um, to streamline this. And, and they won't be just sent there and sitting waiting. The mm -hmm. lab knows that this is happening. And we're working with them to get them submitted, get them sent out to Sorensen. And they have actually uh, started working on... The, uh, the backlog with legislative money. There are mm -hmm. 10 agencies that are currently working with the lab on their backlog. And so they're already starting to see hits come mm -hmm. back. Um, at this time, under that money that was received in 2015, uh, a number of kits, they've, the lab has received 3,025 requests to test these unsubmitted kits. Mm -hmm. And they've completed 1,487. So they have been tested, they've gone through the um, peer review from the lab, and of those 1,487, we've received 160 CODIS hits wow. from those. So wow. over a 10% hit rate. Wow. And the lab defines a hit very specifically. So a hit doesn't mean that there was just a match in the system. Mm -hmm. A hit means that that match provided an investigative lead to the hmm. case. So we know that we're getting uh, over 10% hit rate of information that's providing a new investigative lead to mm -hmm. the case. Wow. Um, 
And so we are seeing that, you know, the lab is, they're working hard. They mm-hmm. definitely are mm-hmm. um, you know, understaffed and, and as all, as everybody, mm-hmm. you know, low on resources, mm-hmm. but they are working to get these kits out, get them turned around mm-hmm. and, and get that information back to the agencies. I would just mention that um, in, in our role at WASPIC, we worked with uh, the State Patrol this year in terms of legislative outreach to mm-hmm. really uh, push hard for additional um, forensic scientists for the state patrol lab and we were successful. The legislature did appropriate extra money for some of those staff positions. And then you mentioned the the private lab that they're working with as well. So that's that's a significant difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, you know, I think this the information that we gather from this grant um, will be helpful to move forward to getting everybody more mm-hmm. resources, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that we have this number of kits that need to be submitted. Mm-hmm. Knowing that what the information that we're getting, the hits that we're getting back, I think is very persuasive to the legislature that they yeah. need to appropriate more money to the lab. And mm-hmm. then, you know, having all these kids going back to local law enforcement mm-hmm. who now, you know, need to investigate and, right. and do something. Um, again, I think it's important and persuasive information to the legislature that mm-hmm. if you want to do something with this, we need to we need to dedicate some resources to right. it. So I think it's going to be helpful information to try and get everybody a little bit more, a little and, bit more help where they need it. And what's so interesting to me is this, and I view it as it's almost like a philosophical shift. Uh, you know, it's a big policy shift away from um, a, a high, you know, high criteria to get uh, kits uh, submitted and tested, really based on individual cases, mm-hmm. to more of a database orientation where this is really going to make a significant... I mean, I was, I'm just amazed by the number of hits you're referring to, the, yeah. the Detroit case and here. And <clears throat> these are incredibly serious offenders. I mean, these are serious cases. Right. And uh, editorial comment here, since we're talking about the legislature and them helping us with some funding and getting this more robust, we need to make sure there's a place to put these people once they get convicted, by <laughs> the way. Uh, that's a separate issue. But um, the... The uh, this shift is every it has everything to do with bringing justice for victims of incredibly serious crimes. So, Lindsay, I'm going to ask you from the investigators standpoint, both yourself and the the people with whom you work around the state. Mm-hmm. Um, how has this you know how has this and will this change affect how you know we do our job in terms of investigating serious sexual assaults? I mean, what improvements do you think we're going to see? Well. I mean, I think that the addition of all this DNA into the database is going to be huge, right? Mm-hmm. All these rape kits are going into one index of CODIS, mm-hmm. which is the forensic index. But we also have to pay attention to another index, which is the offender index. And that is where we're lacking, mm-hmm. in my opinion, in our state. We, um, do you know offhand what the number was of profiles that went into CODIS that didn't get a hit? That they uploaded. For so there was kids? yes, uh, of those one thousand four hundred eighty-seven, four hundred and fifty-seven resulted in a CODIS upload. Mm-hmm. So that means there was a profile, yeah, a DNA profile obtained from that those rape kits, right? For over four hundred, but only a hundred and some of those were actually hits to mm-hmm. known offenders. The other three hundred and something right profiles didn't match anybody, right? Which means those offenders are not in the CODIS database. I got gotcha. you. And that that's been. Um, kind of an issue that I've been focusing on over the last several years because it kind of came to my attention in working cold cases mm-hmm. that, you know, we have quite a few um, examples of really um, prolific violent offenders in our mm-hmm. state who, let's say they died in prison, 
Mm -hmm. um, and their DNA never got collected. And not only did it never get collected, but the way our law is currently written, they cannot legally go into CODIS. Mm. And so these are offenders who were, you know, serial rapists, mm -hmm. murderers, executed, you know, people mm -hmm. that were on death row, really bad guys. And yet we have no way to determine whether or not their DNA is mm -hmm. going to match some unsolved homicide case. Right. And we know uh, that we have quite a few um, unsolved homicides in our state where we have a suspect DNA profile, mm -hmm. just like the Snohomish County case I talked about. Right. Where there's a profile, but there's been no matching CODIS, so where right. do you go from there? Right. So what I'm hearing you say is there's a DNA profile. So in other words, we know this is a person. We just don't know which person it is. Exactly. And because we could do better on getting DNA samples from known persons. Correct. To get put into that same database to create the match. That's the other, the other yep. leg that we need to work on. Because in our state, we do not collect DNA upon arrest mm -hmm. yet. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen sometime in the future, mm -hmm. but you know, right now we don't. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, there are all kinds of um, ways for people to slip through the cracks mm -hmm. when they're ordered to provide a DNA sample and they, mm -hmm. and they don't, mm -hmm. right? Because either they um, didn't get it collected when they were in prison or they didn't go to prison mm -hmm. and they did credit, you know, they, they, right. they got credit for time served and yeah. they walked right out of the jail mm -hmm. without getting it collected. So there's all these people that should have a DNA profile collected to right. the tune of over 11,000 wow. offenders convicted in our state of murder, kidnapping, and sex crime. It's a decent sized town. Who never have had their DNA collected. So, so how many cases could be solved with the DNA from those offenders? So um, d DNA on arrest is a concept that has been discussed. It is... Uh, little bit controversial for some people but what strikes me as you talk about this is even if we have DNA collection at certain points along the criminal justice uh, system mm -hmm. upon arrest let's say or upon conviction or upon going into jail or going into state prison um, remember that at the same time we also have a general policy direction coming from our legislature of you know diversion of keeping people out of right. corrections facilities of getting people out early and so you know as we move down this this road of trying to decrease recidivism reduce costs for incarceration which of course is what you know our legislature is very interested in that um, again I'll go back to you know think about the heinous element of this crime we sh we need to be very attentive to uh, those persons' profiles that you mentioned, um, yes. and not forgetting that because um, that is going to really that's going to result in fewer sexual assault cases being solved. Correct. That's a great takeaway for me. Um, so, for I'm going to go back to our chiefs and sheriffs uh, as you move out and start to do this survey. Can you describe what it's going to look like? And I know Lindsay, you're involved in this for Western Washington. Yes. Um, can you describe both for yourself and for your colleague in, in Spokane what exactly what that's going to look like when you go into a department? Well, we've sent the spreadsheet out via email. And so if the agency has the capacity and the, the personnel manpower mm -hmm. to complete the inventory themselves, then mm -hmm. we're just asking them to complete the Excel spreadsheet we provided and to email it back to us. Mm -hmm. If it's a situation where they do not have the resources to do the inventory themselves and they need help, we will gladly go to their agency and work with their property room staff mm -hmm. to help them get the inventory done. Okay. So it's completely up to the agency. Okay. And um, 
uh, you and I have talked about this before, but again, you, you're based out of Western Washington. Yes. You've, you've uh, worked for Tacoma PD. You've got a colleague in Eastern Washington who's an experienced detective who has been with Spokane PD, yes. now working for the Attorney General's office. So again, I think it's really important for our members to know that these are um, you know, folks who have done this job and who know investigations well, yes. and that'll be working with uh, our agencies. Anything else our individual agencies need to know? Uh, once the survey is completed, um, you're able to fulfill that requirement for the federal grant. Uh, you talked a little bit about the expansion of resources for laboratory work. Um, you know, if this goes well, what, is, what does this system look like in five years? So, you know, our goal is to uh, continue to do this work as we do with our um, homicide cases under mm -hmm. HITS, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to offer law, law enforcement assistance mm -hmm. if they need it to investigate these mm -hmm. um, these hits that are coming back you know we know that it's a big it's sort of a big ask on the front end and mm -hmm. the back end of these law enforcement agencies we're asking them to do this inventory mm -hmm. and then once the kits get submitted and you know like mm -hmm. we said we have 160 hits those are going back to local law enforcement who right. you know, we know are strapped already with the right. current crime going right. on in investigations and mm -hmm. so we we're not here to take over cases but we're absolutely here to offer our assistance right. in those investigations you know if if they need anything, helping track down victims, witnesses, whatever, that's what Lindsay is available to do. And you were talking about um, our investigator in Spokane, that's Marty Hill. He mm -hmm. was a uh, detective with Spokane PD for, I believe, 33 years, a homicide detective there. Mm -hmm. um, so they're both available to do that and move these cases forward. And to continue, our goal is to continue to try and get more resources, whether it be through the state legislature or through additional federal grants to be able to offer out to law enforcement agencies um, the resources to investigate them mm -hmm. and start getting some of these wrapped up. You know, we're seeing um, results already. We've talked about the hits that we know are coming in, but uh, just today there was an article in the Seattle Times about Seattle PD had a hit from an unsubmitted kit that hit to three se separate rape kids. It's hmm. an unknown profile right now, so they're tr still trying to track down who that suspect is, but we're seeing that, you know, once they're coming back, that, mm -hmm. that one suspect is involved in three separate sexual assaults, and Seattle PD has the resources to be able mm -hmm. to investigate that, but a smaller agency who gets that might not, and right. we want to be able to be here to help them out right. if they need that. Right, and we... Uh there's a separate podcast um, that we've done about sort of DNA advancements and the cold case working group. And I would encourage our members to um, listen to that podcast as well, because it's related to this issue in terms of um, what do we do with these cold cases as the database gets better? How do we, um, again, work together to, to particularly bring justice for some of these older cases that mm -hmm. we've had as things move along? So, you know, I, as we're talking about this, what really occurs to me, um, you know, as a you know, I started, you're talking about that cold case from uh, Snohomish County it was 1987. That was the year I started as a police officer. Uh, so that's a, that's, I mean, a long time ago, but as, as years go by for all the issues and problems we have in law enforcement and all the public uh, controversy we're dealing with, uh, you know, what's it all about? Why do we get into this job? We got into it to do what we're talking about today, which is um, to bring justice for the victims of crimes. And the crimes we're talking about are the most, some of the most serious homicides, right. serious sexual assaults. Um, so I think 
this, you know, again, for some of the criticism that law enforcement and, and government is taking, this kind of policy change that we're talking about to expand that database, to fund it, um, and to actually help, uh, you know, the numbers you were mentioning, Kate, from Detroit are just astounding to me. And you think about all those suspects that were out there that now are going to be held accountable. It's kind of what it's all about. Yep. So, um, I, I say that as a way of, of thanking the both of you and for your team for what you do and the work you continue to do with us. Uh, this is some great information on uh, what it is that our members need to know and how we can help you to move that that move the ball down the field. Yeah. And uh, if folks want more information, if they have questions we haven't answered, is there an easy way to contact your office? Absolutely. So we have an email address, which is wasaki, W-A-S-A-K-I, at atg.wa.gov. And if you send an email to that, it goes to all of us. It goes okay. to the entire group. So you'll be able to contact Lindsay, Marty, myself. Mm-hmm. And there's another prosecutor in my office, John Hillman, who's working on this. Gotcha. And someone will definitely get back to you. And uh, if you don't remember that email address, just get a hold of us at WASPIC, and we'll be happy to get that for you. We'll get you whatever information you need. Um, outstanding. Learned a lot today, and we appreciate your time. Uh, again, Kate Heeman from the uh, uh, Attorney General's Office. She's an assistant AG. Lindsay Wade, an investigator with the Attorney General's Office. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.